And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. <laughs> Lamar. Winning lottery numbers coming up. I'm gonna switch it up for y'all a little bit. Get crunk. You know why? Huh? It's hurricane season. The new Miami. The new Miami. Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for the Athletic. And we're coming off a 52 to 10 victory over the Florida State Seminoles. Of course, I had to bring on our longtime friend, Kelvin Harris, to come on and talk about the Canes because not only are they 3 0, but now they're ranked in the top 10. And I want to say they're only 11 victories shy of Kelvin's prediction 14 and 0, which is, which is what he's told me many times is going to happen this season. Kelvin, how good did it see to, how good did it feel to see that 50 burger? that they put up on FSU. I know you're very well connected to those guys at Florida State. You got a lot of friends over there, uh, friends slash enemies, right? Guys that you played on the field as enemies, but are friends. What's uh, What was sort of the reaction, man, that, uh, the, and the feeling that you got after seeing Miami just destroy Florida State? There was a lot of emergency calls to the suicide hotline <laughs> and to a lot of uh, police uh, forces to go do uh, welfare checks and also calls to spouses to make sure that knives, pills, guns were hidden. <laughs> it was a somber time. Not- and I've sent out several bouquets of uh, flowers and my condolences as uh, it's bad. Let me ask you, because I, for years they got to laugh at Miami, right? I mean, the, we had the Al Golden years. We had the, what's happened the last two seasons. Even Even though Miami's won four in a row... Things have been ugly over here. I don't know that I've ever seen it that ugly at Florida State, ever. Like, it's been a long time since they looked that terrible. Did you go on a rampage? Did you feel guilty? What was sort of your reaction? Like, were you trying to be nice to them and talk them off of the suicide hotline? Like, what were were you doing to, to try to, like, balance this? Because, after all, they're still... I mean, you think of Florida State, I think most Miami fans still look at them as a brother, right? Like somebody that you you care about Florida State, yeah. you want to kill them, but but you care about them versus the Gators where there's just naturally, you know, piss and vinegar between that team. If, if, if this would have been Florida, I would have been basking in this, rubbing it in, trying to find as much salt to pour into the open wound as I could. But I found myself trying to convince them that it wasn't as bad as it looked, that there's actually a a light, a dim light, but some kind of light at the end of this tunnel. And I thought to myself, what is wrong with this picture? I'm trying to convince Florida State guys that it ain't as bad as it looks. And before the game, I was trying to convince them that their team would show up. I was like, wait a minute. I'm trying to convince Florida State people that Florida State's going to show up for a Florida State-Miami game. This got to be 2020. It was it was rough for them, man. And I and I told you before the game, you know, I talked. I said I thought it might be like thirty four to ten, 
And I know you you knew that they were going to win convincingly, but 50 was just kind of surprising because their defense was supposed to be good, right? I mean, they were supposed to have some guys up front. And in the end, you look at the final numbers, they didn't sack Derek King once. Um, Miami had over 500 yards of offense. And I think Derek King was pressured a total of four times. So yeah. the question I came away with after that game is, okay, I, and, I, and I know where you stand on this because you this is 14-0 Miami in your eyes. But my question was, okay, how much of this was a product of Miami being elite and this is a product of Florida State just being terrible? I think it's probably a combination of both. But do you, from what you've seen early this season, especially, you know, Florida State, how bad they are, you know, UAB uh, is an okay football team. Um, Louisville kind of, I mean, they, they lost to Pitt last weekend. You know, they, they look pretty bad against the Canes on, on defense, blowing assignments. Do you feel this team has been tested enough through these first three games where, I don't know, you, you feel like a lot of this is legitimate, or do you think this Clemson game ultimately is going to be the real test? No, if we don't turn the ball over, we're going to beat Clemson by at least 10 points. That's the confidence you got. Explain to me why you feel so confident about them, because I did what you told me to do. And you and I talk off the air a ton. I want our listeners to remember that because they're probably like, wait a minute. When did you say that? No, we, you and I talk. And so I feel like I always got to bring up our conversations so that people know what's kind of going on between the two of us when we chat. But you told me, hey, break down the roster, give 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 a thorough uh, look at it and, and tell me what you think. And, and I got to tell you, honestly, I still think they're more talented than Miami in a lot of places. Um, but, Where? but you feel, but you feel Where? differently. Um, Where? I, I feel like, first of all, their offensive line is not as, as, as the situation there is not as rough. Okay. I think the quarterback, what are you talking about? Their offensive line. I'm going to say this. I've watched Clemson play every game and I watched every quarter of every game and I'm going to go down the line. Their center is good. He's a senior. He's good. He's not better than Corey Gaynor. Mm-hmm. Their left guard is a mauler. At best, it's a push because um, Ja'Kai Clark is more is more athletic, pass blocks as good or better. I would give the edge and run blocking to Bockhorst. The right side is a liability for them. DJ Scaife is better than the right guard. Jared Williams is better than their right tackle. Let's flip that over. Which one of them defensive ends start for, uh, for, for, for that starts for them will start for us? Well, all right. I, I, I know where you're trying to go with this argument, but. No, 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 no. You, you, look, I get what you people are saying, but you got to stop looking at what Clemson did in 2018, 2019, and 2017. We're talking about Clemson today. Just like this whole thing about, oh my God, Mississippi State blew out LSU. No, they blew out this year's LSU. This year's LSU is not very good mm-hmm. at this point. So all that stuff about what Mike Lee said, no. He beat a team that has basically an entire new team from last year. So whatever LSU did last year, it's out the door. Whatever Clemson did last year is out the door. Whatever Miami did last year is out the door. Now, has Miami showed you that they can pick up third downs? Yeah, they have. They have against. Have they showed you that they can pick up blitzes? They have done that so far, yes. His quarterback showed you that he can read coverages and beat zones. Yes, he can do that. He's actually, in fact. He turned the ball up yet. 
they have not. Well, once Jalen Knighton fumbled last week on a fourth and one on, exactly. a, on a short run. Right. So, if now when you go and look at Clemson's uh, uh, defensive line, who's the dynamic pass rusher over there? Well, they got a couple young guys, and 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 Brian Breesy, the defensive tackle, the five star kid who was I think number one recruit in the country or, or somewhere up there. Uh, Miles Murphy, another five star kid. Miles Murphy. Miles Murphy is going to be a first round draft pick. Yeah, I mean they, that's, that's the thing. Issue. They've they've got a ton of talent. I think the the issue you're talking about is experience, and I, you know to me. DB is the one area where you look at, okay, beyond their cornerback, Darian Kendrick, and and Nolan Turner, who only has four starts, they don't have a whole lot of starts back there. So, But I, I think the ultimate issue for Miami is going to be, can they get somebody to cover Brevin Jordan? Um, but as far as the rest of the defense, I, I, look, I love what Manny Diaz has done. I'm not discounting any of it, okay? It's really, really tough. But I think what makes Clemson so unique, man, is there's not tr- a bunch of transfers on that roster. Like Miami's had to piece this thing together with with important pieces, you know, that both starting mm-hmm. defensive ends. And and but I, I I don't know, man. I look at the defense and I say the linebacker position for Miami it's still weaker. I mean, I, I, well, no, the middle line. Like I told you, the one guy I said would start for uh, for them for us is James Skowski, mm-hmm. and he's not spectacular. He's just a solid guy now i watched i watched bradley jennings and he does miss holes now if you run into him he's gonna knock you down so the one issue i would say that we have is can bradley jennings fill the gaps where he's supposed to mm-hmm. and take on the blocks which oh by the way they've got My, the best running back in the country in travis Etienne. you know the most elusive is he guy. better than oh, 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 oh is he better than cam harris right now yes no, he's not. He is. And what I love Cam. He? I'm not trying to discount Cam, but you're talking about a dude who is established, ran for 1,600 yards last year, 19 touchdowns, catches the ball out of the backfield. I mean, he led the what country in tack- missed tackles, 91 missed tackles against this dude last year. I mean, let, Kelvin, listen, if we had Travis Etienne, and I mean we meaning Miami, if Miami had Travis Etienne, and they had Cam Harris. You know damn well you'd be saying that you have the best running back in the country, and and they just do. I mean, you got to give them some of those. You got to give them certain positions. Travis Etienne. Let's let's say this. Travis Etienne has had a better career than Cam Harris. The Cam Harris that is playing this year is as good as the Travis Etienne that is playing this year. Is Travis Etienne faster than him? No. Does Travis Etienne break more tackles? Maybe, but did, did you watch Travis? Have you watched Cam Harris this year? Has he broken tackles? Cam has done that, but I will say this about Cam, and this is a concern. Last game, and I know they're trying to integrate the freshmen and give them more carries, but I'm worried a little bit about his leg, especially that hit that he took against UAB. I'm wondering if part of the reason he's not carrying the ball more, okay, and he's and and. Let's face it, the last game, I think he had 43 yards or 45 yards. Um, I'm wondering how much of that is a physical ailment where you're dealing with things. Because you know as a player, guys play through injuries. And Cam is the kind of guy who will play through an injury. And my my concern is, is this dude 100%? I hope he is. Because I think Cam Harris at 100% evens the playing field a little bit more for Miami. He is that kind of a difference maker. And I trust him a lot more than I trust Jalen Knighton and Don Chaney Jr. right now, who are true freshmen. But I'm worried that Cam's not 100. I, I, I agree that you know playing true freshman does um, 
make you a little skittish. This team has not played like, you know, I get that we've been skittish over the last three, four years. But what I'm looking at right now is the best team in the country. Okay. Um, because, because you, 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 you know, I get what you're saying about Clemson. Yeah, they've done it year in and year out, and they have that experience. But I'm going to go over this again. Does K.J. Henry start for us? He might. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so you're saying K.J. Henry would start over Quincy Roche, who is the leading sacker in all of college football right now. Well, I mean, I would say I would say this, not over Quincy Roche, but I think look, there's parts Jalen Phillips is the best defensive end in the country. He might so he might eventually he might eventually get to that point. I still have not seen it. All right, listen. I love Jalen Phillips. All of these guys that Miami has, okay? I, there there are guys that, that that to me are, you know, they they have the potential to be great. But will they show up against Clemson when the bright lights are on yes. and this is the number 1 team in the yes. country? And here's the ultimate. Manny, I get, here's the, I get where you this, mm-hmm. you know, and you have PTSD. I'm not <laughs> into the PTSD. I'm going on what my eyes tell me. There is not a better defensive end in this country than Jalen Phillips. He plays the run. He plays with leverage. He can transition from run blocking to pass pass rushing. No one on Clemson's roster can do what he does. There is no, but not even Miles Murphy. Well, here's here's what I'm going to tell you. Miami is there a Miami, is, is there better, and and Nesta right now is playing as good or better than any defensive tackle in the country. Well, look, the the one thing you will say is this: Clemson will this this will be one of the tougher teams Clemson plays compared to what they've played this season. I mean, getting the Citadel and and a you know Wake Forest team that's a shell of what it was a year ago. And then, you know, Virginia this coming weekend is, you know, we sit here and record this around 1145 in the morning on Wednesday, September 30. I mean, they're going to be 3-0 and and they're going to have pounded all three of the teams that they've, they've faced this year. Miami's going to be their one of their toughest tests, if not the toughest test that they face in the regular season. It's, I mean, it's kind of a debate right now, I think, with how, where Notre Dame fits into all this. But um, they're going to blow Notre Dame out. But Notre, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame doesn't have the outside skill at defensive secondary to handle what Clemson's going to do to them. All right. Well, here's they're just here's where the difference is in this game. Okay, and, and it's it's number sixteen. Okay, Trevor Lawrence touchdown Jesus, the real embodiment. I mean, if if you had to put, uh, you know, sort of describe what touchdown Jesus looks in real life, I think you would say Trevor Lawrence because he is as close hey, to dude, godly as a quarterback as hey, there is. That- that kid is going to be the number one pick in the draft. But I'm going to say this, and I have no trepidation in what I'm going to say. I can't say he's playing better than our quarterback. Our quarterback, if we win this game, will win the Heisman Trophy. Well, I'll tell you that he's playing better than your quarterback because he's better at throwing the deep ball right now than Derek. Derek's 4-17 throwing the deep ball. Maybe not all of that is on his, on him. Some of that is on the receivers. But certainly, a lot of that's a lot of that's on the receivers, right? And I and I'll also say this: he's also better uh, against the blitz, okay? And when he's under pressure, um, Derek this year, yeah. Derek this uh, year, I'm gonna throw a stat at you: twenty-one dropbacks, four of thirteen Manny, passing. Manny, I'm gonna be honest with you: all this pro football focus stat stuff is nice. I'm using my eyes when. This is the dilemma that Clemson and everybody has when they play us. If you blitz us, 
and you don't hit the right gap, what's going to happen? He's going to complete 62% of his passes because I got those stats for you too. No, 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 no. If you blitz us, well, yeah, yeah here's the problem. If you blitz us and you don't get there, He's gonna he's gonna he's gonna bruise you. If you blitz us and you hit the wrong gap and leave an opening, he's gonna run it and get a first down. Well, so that's that's the, that'll be the interesting challenge for Clemson because they don't have the Isaiah Simmons who, to me, can cover Brevin and then also, you know, the, the spy on Derek. What is, what kind of resources do they leave on Derek? I think this for Miami to win this game, Derek is gonna have to play like a Heisman, a Heisman Trophy winner. He's really gonna need to. But he's done that the whole year. Well, but the one thing is, I think the last two games, both Louisville and Florida State, I know he ran for 65 yards against Florida State, and, and it was a couple of scrambles. I, I, I think he's going to need to run for over 100 yards, and he's going to have to throw for three over 300 yards because this is going to be a shootout. I think Clemson's going to put up a bunch I, of points against Miami because I think Miami's defense still has a ways to go. I think if um, – I think the, the, the dilemma that – well, I'll say this – a lot of people are penalized in their minds, DJ Ivy, for the first game. Mm-hmm. But there's a reason why I was trying to get Austin Watkins to come here. Mm-hmm. So it's not like he got beat by a slug. He got beat by a guy that's probably going to elevate himself into a first-round draft pick. Right. And of the first four weeks that we've played, he's arguably the best receiver we've seen. Well, and we shut him down. I wouldn't dismiss Clemson's receivers. I know Amari Rogers is the only guy who's who's played significant minutes, and Joseph Ngata. He, he is the he's the one that scares me the most, right? Because um, he is um, he's smart, he's well, he's 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 been through wars, and he doesn't drop any passes, right? Ngata um, and Ladson, especially Ladson. I'm going to tell you what, Ladson. I'm pretty sure DJ Ivy is probably licking his chops because he raised that kid. The Ngata kid against Ablaze is going to be a nice um, matchup. But neither one of those guys can truly – they're not as versatile as Justin Ross and T. Higgins, and they don't have as much experience. If you break it down, the most experienced receiver on the field is D. Wiggins. Well, so, yeah, based on snaps and, and everything. But, uh, look, I, I don't think they're bereft of talent at that position. And they have a tight end who, no, no, who no. can make plays. That Braden Galloway kid maybe hasn't played a lot in the past, but he's a junior now. He's 6'4", he's pretty, 40. He, he's pretty good. He, he's not he's not bad. They also play J.C. Chalk kid. Mm-hmm. But, and, 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 you know, I think Braden Galloway is going to be um, a guy that we got to keep our eye on because – Looking at the, the makeup of our team, they're going to come out and they're going to try and run the ball. And I think this actually could be Bradley Jennings' best game because Bradley Jennings just got some shack in him. He's a downhill linebacker. Uh, the, the Louisville game was a bad matchup for him because it was all outside zone. Um, he didn't play that bad against UAB. But that also was sort of a bad matchup because they did a lot of outside zone. Florida State was misdirection because they had to be. They had nothing. This team is coming in arrogant, and they should be because they pounded everybody's ass for the last five years. So if I was Clemson, I'd be arrogant. I would see if I could run the ball. 
Let me throw some stats Wait. at you. Let me throw some stats at you about touchdown Jesus, Trevor Lawrence, okay? Mm-hmm. He, in his career, he's been blitzed 295 times. He's completed 64% of those passes for 27 touchdowns and one interception. When oh, he, he, is, he is an excellent. When when you excellent. when you do not get pressure, I'm talking about no pressure on on Trevor Lawrence, which by the way, most of his career he has not been pressured. Okay, 686 uh passes. He completed 70 of those for 55 touchdowns and 10 picks. So he doesn't make many mistakes where he just misses a guy, overthrows a guy. 10 picks no. out of 686 snaps where he's felt no pressure. Now, when you when you are able to get some pressure, when you are, it's mild success. You know, I mean, he's completed 47 of his his 159 passes in his career under pressure. Fifth, still 15 touchdowns and only two picks. So, to me, what does that speak to? If you get pressure on Trevor Lawrence, you get an incompletion. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to keep him out of the end zone or he may not beat you with a hell of a throw or a hell of a play. This is going to require excellent coverage downfield beyond the fact of getting pressure. I'm glad you brought I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. We got the best safety in the country playing for us. He's got to play like the best safety in the country in that game, in my opinion. I mean, you. Yeah, but that, that, that's the point. I get, I get where you're going with the. They got to come, but look, all that shit that happened last year happened last year. Bubba Bolden is from Las Vegas Gorman. He was a, he was, he beat St. Thomas Aquinas. Jalen Phillips is the number one player in the country. Quincy Rochelle is the number one sacker in the country. These dudes didn't come here. This is what they came here for. You know what I'm saying? This is different. I mean, I get everyone has these intrepidations. This is something totally different. I, I don't know how many did it. I don't know where in the switch went on. This is different. the only guy that halfway worries me is Mark Pope. And part of it is he's been trying to do too much. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought up Mark Pope because to me there are a couple of personnel decisions from the Miami perspective I want to get answers to you from you about uh, punt return. Do you leave Mark Pope out there? He's fumbled twice in the first three games. This is the kind of game you cannot afford another Mark Pope moment. What do you do at punt returner? I either go with Mike Harley or Xavier Restrepo. Okay. Mike, I don't think, has done a punt return since last year or the year before, but we'll see. I mean, I got to look at why I didn't research the last time he's done it, but Xavier did handle one punt against Florida State, um, which he, he – I can't he, believe I'm going to say this, but I trust him more than I trust Mark Pope. It's an important decision because we saw how that affected the Florida game last year uh, when Jeff Thomas fumbled in the red zone and, you know, Florida was able to get an easy touchdown. That was the difference in the game. So I, I think that's an important decision for Manny Diaz. How about left tackle? What do you do? Do you leave John Campbell out there? You put him back in the starting lineup? Or do you give Zion Nelson, who is coming off of his best game of his career, okay, zero pressures and 53 snaps, um, you know, and, and I think he had a false start penalty. That was it. Do you leave Zion Nelson at left tackle, or do you do you give it back to John Campbell, who, by the way, he's played okay. John Campbell's done all right, but I actually thought Zion was better. I got to be honest with you. Um, I know you shouldn't be able to lose your job because of injury. Oof. It would have to be 
a decision of who practiced the best because someone close to the decision-making process said to me, it's the same. They played. They're both playing pretty good. And they both have been in the fire because, remember, they were the two starting tackles against Florida. So it's not like, well, I will, you know. I will say this. Zion has more career starts, and he played more. Okay, He played 840 yeah. snaps last year. John Campbell played 295. I know John got the first two starts of the season, but Zion looked really, really good to me. Okay, he did. He he looked impressive to me in that game in the sense where you didn't hear a single thing about what was going on at left tackle. No. Well, but, you know, I think I'd said this before. It was a technique situation last year, and Garen went in and did a good job of uh, building back up the kid's confidence, but also working on his technique. And, I mean, we got three legitimate tackles. Um, four, if you include Jalen Rivers, who's still a puppy. So we're looking good there. I wouldn't be surprised if both of those guys don't play left tackle because i got to be honest with you, he sees better talent on Green Tree every day than he will outside of Pitt. Pitt is the only team that maybe has equivalent talent up front. Here's another so, here's another question for you. What do you do with Mike Harley and the drops? Because obviously the kid's playing hard. He doesn't want to have the drops. But at a certain point, do you sit him for a couple series? Do you do you what do you do in that situation in your mind? Um if he drops couple early, yeah, you might have to start going to more two tight end formations, which actually I would expect to see more of this game because um, Braylon Specter, the strong side linebacker for him, or the weak side linebacker for him. I would set up, I would be looking to get him in past coverage situations because he ain't, he is Ryan Ragoni. Mm-hmm. A fundamentally sound Ryan Ragoni. <laughs> right. Um, well, what, and, one thing I found interesting so far, and, and I don't know if this has been talked about enough, is Will Mallory has only been targeted, where is it? I'm looking at that last year's numbers. I think it was three times or two times. I mean, he had the one play that was called back because of penalty. But officially, he's only had two balls thrown his way aside from that that play that was wiped out by penalty. So they haven't really gone Will's way that much these first three games. Um, Brevin's been targeted 18 times. So maybe, maybe they've been saving, you know, maybe the Will Mallory game is this game against Clemson. I don't know. Um, but the fact that he hasn't seen the ball that much is kind of interesting to me. I wonder how much of that is strategic on the part of Rhett Lashley to not sort of show, hey, we don't just have one tight end, but we got a second guy that we that we got coming for you. Well, Clips are not going to be fooled. Um, they're um, they're going to they're going they're going to know about Will Mallory. The question is, can he stop it? Right. Well, I'm and, talking about saving play calls. I'm talking about things specifically that you might be saving that you do with Will Mallory. Oh, they're, def- they're, they're definitely saving some stuff. Right. And you're going to see it over the next two weeks because the next two games are the big hurdle games because defensively up front, Pitt has as good a talent as we do, maybe more. They're deep. Um, and Clemson, that you know, Clemson is 
more fundamentally sound. And I think the thing with Clemson is not the pass rush, but the blitz schemes. And Brent Venables is going to try and confuse uh, De'Ar King. But I think this is going to be the toughest test Brent Venables has had other than Joe Burrow because I was worried. The reason why I didn't think we would score 50 against FSU is because talent-wise, FSU has more talent on defense, more actual physical talent. There's not a defensive tackle on Clemson's team that will go as high in the draft as Mark Wilson. Corey Durden is going to play on Sundays. Robert Cooper is going to play on Sundays. Janarius Robinson is going to play on Sundays. Joshua Kando, play on Sundays. They got guys. There's an Asante Samuel starts at Clemson. You know what I'm saying? Um, the talent isn't a problem with them. It's chemistry. And I figured that they would make us work for it. And they did in the first half. But what you saw was you saw a deliberate um, dialed-in offense that just made plays. Okay, you want us to go 13 plays? We'll go 13 plays. You want us to go 18 plays? We'll go 18 plays. 37, we'll get it. Okay, you want to blitz this? We'll throw it in, in the flat to the back. Oh, you're going to drop eight? We'll find the open zone. That's going to be the challenge for Brent Venables. If he sits back in zone early and don't, and, and he gets picked apart, he's going to come with blitzes. And if he gets picked, and if Derek King is able to connect through the blitzes, now what do you do? Because if our two tackles, Jared Williams, who's no one's really talking about, he has been an anchor at right tackle. And I'll tell you something that's undervalued about him is he's a pretty damn good run block. Mm -hmm. Him and Skate on that right side, they get movement, they get push. Corey has been playing great. He gets movement, he gets push. So if you can't get home with your rushers and you can't get home with the blitz, what do you do? Mm-hmm. I think if we're able to run the ball even a little bit with Cam, Knighton, and, and Cheney, it's going to be a long day. I think this game comes down to who can stop the run. Right. And I think if we can't stop their run, I, I, they I can't would stop say the our, advantage is Clemson right now on paper. But go ahead. Yeah, well, the advantage is Clemson on experience. Mm-hmm. Because right now, Nesta and John Ford are stopping the run. The only thing that worries me is the linebacker fields. You know, uh, Jennings has had some, some – he's missed some fields. Zach McLeod is playing pretty good. Um, Frierson – played really well. Um, this is a, you know, honestly, this is a toss-up. I mean, you got to give them the advantage because they're the team that's performed the best over the last few years and they're playing at home and they have a phenomenal quarterback. But I just think after this game is over, because Kirk Herbstreet and them have already set it up, if we win this game, De'Eric King is going to win the Heisman. Because if you pay attention, they've had us on national TV pretty much all three of our first games. And De'Eric King against 
UAB, people are like, oh, wow, he's not bad. Mm-hmm. And against Louisville, it's like, whoa, he can actually throw the ball. And then this week, it was he can throw the ball and he can run the ball. And if you listen to Kirk Herbstreet and David Pollock and these guys, they've pretty much – and then I saw the odds. He's got better odds than Trevor Lawrence to win the Heisman. So the national media has already set this kid up to win the Heisman. Now, if he delivers a victory in Death Valley with this team, it's his Heisman to lose. Yeah. And I've, I've told him this every week. Now, the one thing that I haven't told him yet, and I believe if he wins this game and he looks good doing it, I don't think he's going to get into the first round of the draft. But I think he could get into the second round. Because they're just not going to draft him because in the first round because of his height. But the better Kyler Murray plays, and if he looks good this year, someone will take a someone will take a, a flyer on him in the second round because he throws the ball as good as any quarterback in college in college football right now. Well, here's here's one thing to know, uh, and and I thank Jason Starrett, who's one of our editors here at the Athletic. He, he plugs into you know different stats and sports information and he came up with some of these numbers for Derek this year um, against the zone he's completing 69.7 percent of his passes for an average of 9.4 yards um, against man coverage he's completing 41.9 percent of his passes for 8.2 yards um, Clemson you know obviously hasn't really played anybody to Miami's uh, Skill and and talent, they play, but they play Duke person. <clears throat> no, Wake Forest. Um, Wake Forest, right? But they but they do use a lot of zone. Okay, they played zone last year, sixty three percent of the time on defense. Yeah, because they they run a lot of zone blitz. Right, and and um and this year they played zone on thirty five of forty um dropbacks the first two games. So that's eighty seven percent. Obviously, it's a different opponent when you got Wake Forest and the Citadel. But the point is, I think Brett. Venables prefers the zone. That's traditionally what he plays with. And I think the talent on his team, again, what he's got is, is to me, talented pass rushers, big defensive tackles, big defensive ends that have a ton of talent. Um, and and he's got, you know, one cornerback who's got a lot of experience, started every game last year, and who's coming back at some point. Um, and then after that, it's a lot of talent, but it's inexperienced. So, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting matchup, man. I, Kelvin, it was fun dissecting it, getting your thoughts on it, talking about the current Canes roster. But I'm going to bring on Grace Rayner here in a minute to talk. She's our Clemson beat writer. Clem- she's got a really good feel, obviously, for the roster. And I wanted to bring her on to talk about some of those guys individually and, and you know maybe some of the changes she's seen in Trevor Lawrence and some of the changes she's seen in, in some of the younger players that Clemson has. Because I think all of us here – um, can appreciate, you know, what they've done over, you know, the, this this past decade. <clears throat> they are what Miami was. They are an, an elite machine that's playing for the championship every other year, if not every year. Oh, no doubt. And contending. And uh, you got to give uh, that coaching staff uh, from top to bottom a lot of credit because they're not doing it with transfers. They're doing it with, with dudes. Like, they recruit well, and they groom and they get they get there. Well, the one thing that they have going for them is continuity. Until Jeff Scott left, they had the same staff for like four or five years. And you can't – you got to understand something. You're right. They don't do transfers. 
and he does a good job of getting guys that fit his program, but they don't have any turnover in the system. Calvin, I appreciate it, my friend. I'm going to bring on uh, Grace Rayner here. Thanks for coming on, doing uh, Wide Right once again with me. Uh, but I appreciate it, brother. We'll talk soon. All right, before we get to Grace, we'll take a quick break and be right back with more Wide Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so we're going to bring on Grace Rayner, our Clemson beat writer, to talk about this big game in a couple of uh, Saturdays up there at Clemson. Um, The Hurricanes, last time they went up there, uh, was I want to say 2011 or around there 2010 it's been a long time I remember driving up to go to that game um, and Miami didn't win of course um, and and now of course th- these Tigers the last time Miami saw them in the regular season it was 58 to nothing and then the ACC championship game was 38 to three so it's been a tough experience for the Hurricanes. Grace, um, are you ready for Miami? Is there a lot of excitement for the Hurricanes coming to town, or is it one of those deals where it's like uh, we've we've crushed this team? It's not the Canes. We've torn up the turnover chain. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think there's some excitement. I mean, I remember when you know it was announced that this game was going to be in in prime time. I was texting with a couple of our colleagues at the Athletic, and they were asking me like, you know, when was the last time that you felt like you saw Clemson in a regular season game that like truly actually meant something and was going to be, you know, have some intrigue to it. And so uh, I'm pumped. I mean, I think that this, I obviously will get a better look at Miami once I play someone like Clemson, but um, I think that this is as compelling as of a regular season matchup as Clemson has until they go to Notre Dame in November. Yeah. I, I think, you know, Miami, uh obviously was hopeful for this season. They felt good about Derek King and, and Rhett Lashley's offense, right? And fans down here were like, okay, this might actually work. And then they've come out and, and looked really, really good offensively. Um, what do you think of Miami? What's been your impression of them so far? And, you know, obviously I know Clemson uh, has won the league, what, five years, six years in a row, it feels like. And they've played in the national championship game last year. They're number one in the country. I mean, what do you think of the matchup yourself when when you saw when you see Miami? Yeah, I mean, I think on paper Clemson probably has the edge, and I think that most people would be inclined to agree with that. But when I think of Miami in 2020, it just seems like you know, from a an outside perspective, as someone who you know didn't really very closely follow Miami growing up, but it just seems like they have their their pop back, their their spark back. I don't, I know people on Twitter have been having the eternal "Are they back?" debate, but it, mm-hmm. it's just, it's fun to. <laughs> to see, you know, someone else in the league kind of bring some flash. And I think it's exciting as a reporter to, to know that maybe this league is is getting more competitive and, and maybe people are taking steps towards being able to actually be a legitimate challenger to Clemson. Right. This Miami roster, though, was built with so many transfers, whereas this Clemson team, I mean, it's, it's built with homegrown, you know, recruited players. Uh, Miami's best players, Derek King, came from Houston. Jalen Phillips, their 
you know, one of their top defensive ends, Quincy Roche as well. Both of those guys, Temple and UCLA transfers. They're starting right tackle. Jared Williams is a transfer. Is there a single transfer on the team at Clemson? Yeah. I'm curious. Is there, like, anybody that they've had to pick off from somewhere else? Or is this roster, like, just completely homegrown like I think it is? It is basically completely homegrown. I mean, Dabo Sweeney does not take graduate transfers, so it has no grad transfers. Occasionally, you'll get like a, you know, walk-on transfer kicker or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I can't think off the top of my head anyone who transferred in. I mean, Dabo very is very, very adamant about how he wants to build his team from the high school model. I find that interesting because Manny Diaz obviously has had no choice, I think, in a lot of ways, but to go to the transfer market because there's so many holes on this. There were so many holes on this roster. And I'm curious why Dabo feels that way. And I don't know that there's many other programs that do it the way that he does. Yeah, I didn't really know until a couple of months ago when I was kind of picking the brains of some of our coworkers that this was like so, so rare, you know, that it seems like this is kind of his policy that seems pretty unique to him. But I think that, you know, part of the reason why Clemson is so successful is because they develop so well. And I think they just kind of have an eye for talent that, you know, might not be some of the, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, Ari Wasserman will probably kill me when I say this. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, Clemson has its its large share of five stars. But they're mm-hmm. also picking up these three stars like Hunter Renfro or um, Isaiah Simmons was a three star. You know, I think that they just kind of have an eye for what they're looking for. And they know that if they get them in when they are right out of the high school model, they can develop them into what they want them to be instead of having to kind of retrain their brain had they come from a different college. That's just kind of my my take on it. Yeah, I, I mean, they've certainly started to get more five stars within the last couple of years than they did before. Uh, but you're right. I mean, they do a heck of a job developing players, uh, especially on the defensive side. I thought Venables over the years, I mean, he's had talented defensive players, but he's also groomed some guys that were three stars into much bigger players, you know, at the college and, and then eventually getting to the NFL. Um, I broke down this roster. I stayed up to about four in the morning yesterday, literally like looking at every single player, how many career starts, looking at pro football focus, looking at numbers, crunching things. And, you know, I know obviously there were some guys who who, who left the program following, the, uh, you know, playing in the national championship game, but this is still a very loaded roster. Uh, and, I, and I'm not sure how good Miami fans, especially our buddy Kelvin Harris, because Kelvin, you know, he's a he's a diehard homer, of course, won three national championships there. He's like, I can see Miami. They're almost on the same level with Clemson at a lot of different positions. And I'm like, you're dreaming, buddy. Like, it's really not that close. <laughs> I mean, there's just guys that I mean, first of all. Um, when you talk about the quarterback position with Trevor, I mean, I was looking at these numbers and this, these numbers really impressed me. Um, even when he's under pressure, he's thrown 15 career touchdowns and only two interceptions. And when he's blitzed, I mean, he really tears teams apart. 27 touchdowns, one interception. I think this is going to be the toughest quarterback the Hurricanes have ever faced. And I'm talking about ever. Okay. I know they had... Yeah, I really do feel that way. I mean, and that's with Jameis Winston, uh, you know, who was the number one overall pick. Uh, Doug Flutie way back in the day. I mean, they they're, they faced a lot of great quarterbacks, but I think Trevor is as good, if not maybe the best ever, that, that, that they're going to face. Um, what have you seen from Trevor sort of that, that impresses you that sort of goes beyond the box score and, and just how special he is? Yeah, I mean, so we when we talked to coaches all off season, you know, they had – they had told us about how Trevor had kind of tapped into this new level 
And I remember thinking, like, what does that look like for someone who mm-hmm. <laughs> won a national championship as an 18-year-old freshman who, you know, is 29 and one in his college career is probably going to be the number one overall pick. Like, what does an even better Trevor Lawrence look like? And I, and I think we're seeing it now, just just the command of this offense that he has, the poise that he has. I think last year, especially early on, he took some risks that he's not taking now just to, you know, I think he trusted his arm a little bit too much, knowing that he does have that big arm and it, and it, it led to some early interceptions that, you know, in hindsight, maybe everyone shouldn't have freaked out about, but it did happen. Um, but you, I mean, you just look at him this year and granted, I do think that we need to take his stat line with a, a grain of salt, given that, you know, they've played two games and one of them was against the Citadel. Right. <laughs> um, but I mean, already he's, completed over 80% of his passes. He's like 30 of 37. I think he's got 519 yards and four touchdowns. He's just been incredibly efficient. And, um, you know, they had said heading into last season, they wanted to see him become more mobile. And I think now just the entire package is completely pulled together. Yeah. And, and I was looking at the deep ball because I was like, okay, let me let me analyze because that's kind of what separates the great quarterbacks. Joe Burrow did such an amazing job at that last year, which is why he went number one overall. I know everybody thinks Trevor's going number one overall, no matter what. But I thought that was like the one aspect of his game. And sure enough, I looked at the numbers. And even that this year, he's doing better. I think he's five of seven on, on balls, 20 yards downfield or whatever. And obviously, like you said, they played the Citadel. Uh, they played a Wake Forest team. that's kind of like, you know, not where it was a year ago. Sure. Um, I, I I just think, you know, to me, I look at it and I say to myself, man, this is going to be the best quarterback they've ever faced. Or if not, he's number two. You know, he's like right there of all time. I mean, just just a great special player. And then, you know, you, you look at what he's got and he's got the best running back in the country, Travis Etienne. <laughs> and, and I was looking at the stable of running backs. I mean, there's other guys behind Travis. It's not just him. I mean, they, there's a lot of different playmakers in this offense. I know wide receiver, um, you know, they lost a couple guys in the top two receivers, but Amari Rogers and Joseph Ngata and EJ Williams, the freshman, the, the tight end, Braden Galloway. I, what, can you talk a little bit about his weapons and I guess, you know, what it's what the process has been like replacing some of the other stars that they've had? For sure. Yeah. I'm impressed how much you know about this Clemson team already. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, obviously the biggest question that that Clemson had to answer offensively this this offseason. They thought it was just going to be, you know, replacing four starters on the offensive line, but then, you know, they find out in in the offseason that Justin Ross is unavailable and everyone knew Justin Ross was going to slide over into that T Higgins like uh role. You know, he was he was going to be Trevor's number one target. There's no ifs ands or buts about it. But I've been really impressed with the how Amari has really made himself more versatile and I think that you're just seeing him, he's playing faster than ever, especially now that he is completely healed from that ACL tear. Um, I think Frank Ladson has really established himself as kind of a contender to, to maybe get in there as a starter and be one of Trevor's mm-hmm. deep ball threats. And a lot- He's a South Dade kid out of, out of Miami. He Miami is, wanted him. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. he is. And a lot of these receivers, you know, actually all three of the starting receivers uh, missed chunks of preseason camp in, in COVID protocol. And so- the fact that they are clicking like they are already, I think, is pretty remarkable. But I think the bi- the biggest difference, is, and you mentioned it, is Braden Galloway. I mean, Clemson just hasn't had a tight end involved in the passing game really at all since 2016 when Jordan Leggett was there. And now Braden gives them size and, and speed and just a- another receiving option that they really have not had in several years. Yeah, it, it's to me, it seems like a more dangerous team. And I know that maybe he had better weapons at the receiver position, or at least more established weapons um, that, that have gone on to the NFL. But 
I feel like there's more. It feels like there's more weapons. Is that is that accurate? I mean, yeah, I think that like now it's getting to the point where I think anyone who played against Clemson kind of had to pick their poison. You know, are you going to let Trevor beat you? Or are you going to let Travis beat you? But now mm-hmm. the more that Trevor's weapons are expanding, it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's 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 a bigger pool for sure. Yeah. And then, of course, on the offensive line, I know Jackson, Carmen, the left tackle was the sort of one returning starter. But a lot of these other guys, that's the one thing I think fans don't realize is over the last few years, Clemson's blown out so many teams that these backups have gotten a ton of playing time. So I know these are all new starters at the other positions and Bockhorst and Stewart and Putnam and McFadden, the the rest of the offensive line. But, I mean, those guys played and they had some experience. It wasn't like they're completely thrown to the wolves, right? For sure. Yeah, I was looking. I can't remember what the exact number is, but uh, Clemson had a stat about just the number of snaps that – the four of them combined played as backups, and it's like over a thousand. I mean, they mm-hmm. these guys are Clemson very much rotates guys in and out. They they build depth really well, and so yeah, these guys um, were were more than ready to to slide into these new roles. Yeah, Mike Zimmerman is, is a Canes fan, right? And and he produces my show. And and Mike, are were, are you aware of how good Clemson is? Or are you kind of like not really aware of of the finely tuned machine that the Tigers are? No, I, I mean I think everybody knows how good they are. You, you don't make you don't make the playoffs and and the national championship game this many years in a row, um, and, and not be a, as good of a program as there is in the country. Um, I mean I I've been saying for a while that this is the measuring stick for Miami. This is how we find out how good the Canes actually are. Now personally, I'm not expecting them to beat Clemson. But if I see a competitive game going into the fourth quarter, it has to be promising signs for Miami because. I mean, it shows improvement, especially from the game we saw against Louisiana Tech, their bowl game, last game of the season, how they looked as bad as we've ever seen Miami. Mm -hmm. And if then, what, seven, eight, nine months later, they're competing going into the fourth quarter with probably the best team in the country, you have to just, you have to be positive about that. Yeah. Uh, Here's what I'll say. I looked up Trevor's worst games because I was like, okay, how does Miami do this? How do they pull off this upset, right? And really, it's LSU and North Carolina, and I think Georgia Tech at the beginning of last season were games that he didn't perform too well. Um, when when a team actually has a chance to beat Clemson, what is the key you think in your mind, Grace? What what kind of has to happen for that opponent to have any shot at at being in the game in the fourth quarter with Clemson? I think that basically everything has to go right on opponents' end, and then you got to get a little bit of luck on Clemson's end and, and a little bit of bad break. I mean, you look at North Carolina, Travis Etienne played one of his worst games of the season there, and, and, and Dabo just gave him an earful after that game. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that you just have to – Clemson really dominates in um, what they call the middle eight. Like that, Most of their games are won in the, in the last four minutes of the um, – second quarter and first four of the third. I mean, if you can't hang with them there, you're going to be in trouble. So I think you need a lot of momentum, and then you just kind of have to cross your fingers that some things go wrong for them. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you just about the defense because I think they have four returning starters in the front seven. I know their middle linebacker, James Skalski, and then three of the defensive linemen, uh, Foster, Davis, and, and Pinckney. Um, but – you know, it's beyond that. Like they, they've got so many five stars and re- like re- uber talented defensive linemen that it's ridiculous. Where, what do you think of this defensive front compared to some of the previous ones that Venables had? I mean, I think that the 2018 Clemson defensive line is forever going to be the best ever um, in Clemson mm-hmm. history. But you look at these 
young guys that come in and you can't help but but think about, you know, some of those dudes from 2018. And I've been especially impressed because Clemson's defensive line really looks nothing like it was supposed to look before the season started. I mean, Xavier mm-hmm. Thomas and Justin Foster, both of the projected starting defensive ends, have still not played a game and are, are not ready for Virginia. I don't know what right. that means for Miami. Um, and then Tyler Davis is kind of a, a wait and see. He he has a, a knee injury, but you know this is why, as Ari Wasserman would say, stars matter. You know Brian mm-hmm. Brzee and Miles Murphy have just come in and taken over these really big roles as freshmen ready to go right out of the gate. And I think that that's been really, really good for Clemson to see that, okay, let's throw them in and they can handle it. Yeah, it, they, they've been impressive. And obviously, again, they haven't – they're going to face a more for potent sure. offense for sure. in the Hurricanes than they, than they do in their first three games. Um, and secondary, I guess, is the one area when you look at it and you say, okay, they lost a lot there, right, in terms of playing experience. Um, but, again, um, you know, what do you what do you sort of think of that group? Nolan Turner, I guess, is the one sort of returning guy, him and, and Darian Kendrick. What's kind of happened with Darian Kendrick? Because he only played one game. Is he okay? Is everything fine with him? Yeah, so <laughs> with DK, Dabo has called it. They gave him a little bit of love. He won't fully commit to it. He won't fully commit to saying it was a disciplinary thing, but Brent Venables mm-hmm. said it was a disciplinary thing. So, okay. um, and Dabo has said so, that they're looking for him to be more accountable. So, you know, I think this week against Virginia actually will be the first time we get a, a true look at what Clemson's secondary it was supposed to look like down the mm-hmm. stretch. We get Mario Goodrich back from injury, and DK presumably is back for you know whatever happened there. Um, so if I'm a Miami fan, I'm I'm paying attention this week because I think this is the first real look we'll get at those guys. Do they have somebody that can cover Brevin Jordan in your mind? Is there somebody because that's that's what I think Miami's best hope is in this game because Brevin is such a unique talent um you know i know they had isaiah simmons there who was mr do everything and and could probably have handled brevin pretty easily but i'm wondering do they have a safety do they have a you know strike what they call the position striker here at miami but they have a guy who can sort of cover the tight end and do a decent job against them it's funny as soon as you said that i was like isaiah (laughs) Um, (laughs) right you know they they don't have an isaiah for sure i mean his replacement, Mike Jones Jr., is still pretty versatile in his own right, but he just doesn't have the size that Isaiah had. He's, you know, I think 20 pounds lighter, a couple inches shorter. Um, mm-hmm. Clemson's fastest safety, I will say, is Landon Zanders. He's he's their speed guy. He um, is really the only one that can keep up with Travis Etienne and, and some of these fast guys on offense. But I'm interested to see kind of where they go with that matchup because you're right, a year ago this would have just been, you know, such a such an easy answer for them. Right. Yeah, I think I think the X factor for Miami in this game will be Brevin Jordan and, and how what kind of damage he can do um, in this game. But hey, I'm looking forward to it. I know Miami fans are, and I and Grace. I mean, I really appreciate you coming on like a week ahead of the game because you still got Virginia to worry about, and you're already looking ahead to the next game with the Hurricanes, which I know everybody in the country is going to be because anytime you get Clemson on prime time against somebody who's in the top ten, I mean, why would you not watch that? Especially the way that those guys have played so i appreciate you coming on uh any any final thoughts on miami i mean what what do you what do you, i mean what's sort of the feeling up there about the turnover chain i mean do, are they kind of like do people laugh at it up there like look at that that cute little thing or what, what what's kind of the feeling about the <laughs> hurricanes and the turnover chain i mean i can't speak for clemson fans but i i love it i think it's awesome i love seeing it on tv i mean clemson is not super gimmicky um they don't really have an equivalent right. of that that's why i brought that up yeah, yeah. <laughs> like at clemson if you uh if you get a turnover you just get a, a very 
excited fist bump or chest bump from Brent Venables. Uh, <laughs> so, but I, I love it. I think it's uh, the the story that keeps on giving. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody down here gets fired up over that, and I know the TV uh, crews certainly love talking about the turnover chain, but. Uh, but hope, we'll see what happens in this game. I, I think Miami, I, I know the odds makers haven't put out a line yet on that game, but my guess is Clemson will probably be about a 10 or a 14-point favorite, even with Miami being ranked that high. I, I just think most people who have any sort of common sense recognize that Clemson's still on a different level than this Hurricanes team, as good as Miami has played. And the fact that they'll have two weeks to prepare, maybe that helps Miami out. But last year they were 0-3 coming off a of bye, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what Manny Diaz has to do to change that, uh, but uh, it's going to it's gonna be a really tough game for the Hurricanes. And I, I just want – I'm glad you came on to talk about it because I think they need to realize, hey, this is this number one team is no joke. They are, they're, they are the big dogs for a reason. So thanks, Grace. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited for it. I think it'll be I think it'll be good for all of us. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for Wide Right. I uh, appreciate the time I got from Kelvin Harris, former Hurricane, three-time national champion, our Grace Rayner here at the Athletic Clemson beat writer. Enjoyed our session once again. Uh, we will be back next week. Have a special guest on our next podcast Wednesday. You don't want to miss. He's a very well-known guy on ESPN who I should say he's a UM grad. See ya. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.